Hey, writers, join our first draft weekly writers club. We meet every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern time. For more information, go to writingclassradio.com and click on the classes tab. I'm Allison Langer. I'm Andrea Askowitz. This is Writing Class Radio. You'll hear true personal stories and learn a little bit about how to write your own stories. Together, we produce this podcast, which is equal parts heart and art. By heart, we mean the truth in a story. By art, we mean the craft of writing. No matter what's going on in our lives, writing class is where we tell the truth. It's where we work out our shit. There's no place in the world like writing class, and we want to bring you in. This is episode 102. Today, we bring you a story that is not one you hear too often, but addresses a very serious situation, breast cancer and men. We actually sat on this story for a few years, not because it wasn't expertly written, but because it lacked an important detail we felt was left out. This episode is about what happens when a key element seems to be left out of a story. We'll discuss this after you hear Kevin Wood's story, A Boyhood Brush with Breast Cancer. Back after the break. I'm Allison Langer, and every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern Time, I host First Draft. It's a class, kinda, because you'll get a little bit of instruction, but mostly it's a group where you come together with other writers online, write to a prompt and share what you wrote. It's the only way to get better. Come join me. Check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com or go to patreon.com slash writingclassradio to learn more. Have you ever thought, I'd love to have a podcast just like this one? Well, I can help. My name is Matt Kundal, and everyone at my company, the Sound Off Podcast Network, had a hand in making this show. Whether it was about the sound, the discoverability, or that you're just enjoying the show, we are all about the detail. If you think you have a podcast in you, reach out to me via email, matt at soundoff.network. Or check out the website and become one of the great podcasts we work with at soundoff.network. We're back. This is Allison Langer, and you're listening to Writing Class Radio. Here's Kevin Wood with his story, A Boyhood Brush with Breast Cancer. Three months before high school graduation, I had a mammogram. It was the mid-90s. What I knew about mammograms was women my mom's age had them, not teenage boys. Yet there I was one day after school, bare-chested, in a dim room where a large machine sat with an open mouth, waiting to bite down when the nurse maneuvered the skin of my flat chest into its cold, flat teeth. As I soon found out, men can also have breast cancer. I was living in Texas where being a man has distinct and non-negotiable confines. How much can you bench press? How many beers can you chug? How fast is your car? Were common questions. I was not the guy with impressive answers to any. I also wasn't on any sports teams, never had been. I was already teetering dangerously close to the edge of not being a man at all. That I might have breast cancer in this highly masculine world was highly ironic. It's predicted that one in eight women will have breast cancer. Less than 1% of breast cancer cases are men, but it happens. It's also more frequently lethal, not because it's more extreme, but the recognizing signs, knowing it's possible, seeking diagnosis, and taking it seriously is more rare. In other words, I might have been the perfect candidate. Months before my mammogram, I'd felt a growth above my right nipple. It slowly grew until I could see it, the size of a cheese puff, hard and painful to touch. I didn't tell my parents at first. 
After a while, I couldn't ignore it. When they finally saw and felt, it quickly became doctor-worthy. I never thought about breast cancer. My mom and I went to see a specialist. He was a friendly, gray-haired guy, super chatty. He prodded and nodded. Then the word surgery came up. I sat quiet, listening to his voice. He wanted to remove the growth just in case, he said. But it probably isn't cancer. I was confused. I think it's fine. Let's carve it out anyway. I looked at my mom as we drove home from the doctor's office that afternoon, her eyes directly on the road. She later told me reality didn't sink in until she saw the word mastectomy on the hospital chart. Why did just-in-case surgery have the same name as when a cancer-ridden breast is cut off? Before the surgery, I kept it secret. I shuddered to think of the ridicule if any of the kids in my high school knew I was having breast surgery. At night, I would stand in the bathroom alone with the door closed and locked. I'd lean close to the mirror and look at my right breast. I traced along the hard curve over and over using my finger as a scalpel. Will there be an indention, I wondered? The surgery was set for a Friday just weeks after meeting the doctor. The suggestion of urgency is confusing as the facts it was even happening. I told only one person, a teacher, because I wouldn't be there to hand in a paper that was due. I only said surgery and didn't elaborate. She pushed for details. I leaned in close and whispered as I explained the rest. She looked at me, brow furrowed, with a slight smile, unsure what to say. I shrugged and walked away, red-faced. Many people describe what it's like drifting into an anesthetized dream, counting down from 10, never making it. But there's only one thing I remember about surgery. After it was over, I came to, sat up on the gurney, and said to the nurses, sleepy but definitive, don't let my mom see my tattoo. They laid me down and laughed, but I wasn't joking. The year before I'd gotten my first tattoo, my parents didn't know. This was not the time to reveal. I showed it to the nurses. They agreed to keep it covered by my hospital gown. The rest of the day is blank. I tend to tell the funny parts of that bizarre time when I share with friends. What I don't often share is what it felt like to have exploratory surgery for cancer at 18. It was after surgery when the worst part began. The incision caused pus to build up. I had to wrap my right side tight with a bandage. As days went by and pus pooled under the skin, my breast looked like the saggy boob of an 80-year-old woman. It felt like a woman's body was invading mine, at a time I was desperate to assert my masculinity. As dreadful as wearing what I called my half-bra was seeing my lopsided chest. I wouldn't look in the mirror. My body was betraying me. Not only grotesque, it was the way it was happening. The growing boob more than the mass that was cut out became the worst offender. Walking down the long hallways at school, I would sling my backpack over my left shoulder and maneuver the between-class crowds, careful to avoid bumping into anyone. When my locker hung high on the wall, I'd stand a long time, unable to lift my right arm to the combination lock. I would fumble with my left hand for a code that had long since become second nature when I used my right. Sometimes you only recognize the parts of your body you rely on when they become unreliable. More than once, I was late to class. I didn't try to explain. Each week, I went to the doctor's office alone after school for him to drain the pus. As he chatted about the weather, he would insert a thick needle above my nipple and start pressing. I could feel the needle under my skin as he pressed. 
bloody yellow liquid spewed into an enormous syringe. The pain was outrageous, but I didn't want a saggy boob anymore. I went back dutifully for two months until the pus stopped, determined to grin and bear it. A few weeks after surgery came spring break, which for the crowd I partied with meant South Padre Island. A Girls Gone Wild video paints an accurate picture. Juicy vodka shots, crushed beer cans, speeding jeeps, kids barely hanging on. A would-be driver passed out next to a car, keys hanging from the door. It was a testosterone-fueled, gotta-get-drunk, days-long party. I was still wearing a half bra. I got drunk morning till night like everyone else, except I drank more to numb embarrassment than to party. Sometimes I was the only one on the beach, boy or girl, with a top on. I never considered not going. I didn't want to miss out. It was that time in high school when everyone is convinced life's last hurrah is near. Still, I only stayed until Tuesday, then drove home alone. The boob needed draining. In the end, biopsy did not reveal cancer. I don't remember getting that information, and I can't say how long it took. What I do remember is how desperate I was to keep anyone from knowing about the breast surgery and half bra. I remember how horrified I was at the way my body changed, how for a time I wore perhaps the most definitive display of femininity. That's the strength and danger of a masculine ideal so painfully narrow. The lingering anxiety of it not seeming like a man still blinds me to the fact this could have been cancer. As for my body, it turned out the doctor did a great job. You'd never know I had surgery. One tiny scar runs along the dark top part of my nipple. Still, it's sensitive. It hurts when it's bumped or cold, or when thin sprays of water from a shower hit it. The only time it really bothers me is when I'm getting physical with someone new who tries to nibble on it. I flinch and try to suavely guide them to the other side. I don't explain why. This chapter from my past, not something I want to share in the heat of the moment. It's still breast surgery after all. Several years ago on the mall in D.C., I did a benefit run with a friend to raise money for breast cancer research. Joining us were hundreds of women who wore pink shirts with the names of loved ones, lost to or battling breast cancer. I didn't tell my friend about the breast surgery or boob, discomfort at the memories resurfacing. Even so, I felt the sobering reality of a shared bond with these women few men will ever know. The first thing I want to say about this story is I really learned something. And, um, and I do think it's really courageous of this man to tell us a story about breast cancer. But I, what I learned is that less than 1% of all breast cancer is in men. And it can be really deadly because men don't think they're going to get it. I mean, right? Isn't it fun to learn something in a story? Also, I did think that this narrator did an amazing job of taking us through the experience. The Cheeto, the way that he talked about the mammogram with the open mouth chomping down. And also like the whole description of, of like the draining of the pus and, and how bad it got after. And I totally feel his humiliation. So he did an excellent, excellent job like revealing his kid-like vulnerability. Excellent, excellent story. 
I have a lot to say. First of all, I, I enjoyed the story so much because it had it had a good structure, good writing. It had good grammar. It was previously published in the Good Men Project. So somebody's obviously gotten to it before us. I have no idea how it came to them, probably just as good. But what I'm saying is it wasn't a raw piece. And we have been open to submissions lately, and we've been getting a lot of, of really good essays that have horrible grammar and no structure. So a lot of good situations, but not many stories. And the thing that he does so well here is he describes this really awful situation, and then he makes meaning of it. I think that that is worth explaining because the making meaning of his situation is the hardest part of writing. Like you just said, like so many of the submissions we get, they're, they're these captivating and dramatic and sometimes terrible situations, but the narrator doesn't come through and learn anything. So this narrator really is telling us a story about the confines of society's ideas of masculinity and how how damaging those societal ideas are. For him. Right. Yeah, he personalizes it. He doesn't come out and he's not preachy. You know, he's not reporting facts and essays. He's he's really giving us a personal essay of how this particular ideal in his stage of life and probably any stage of life really affected him. Right. So here's a guy growing up in Texas where being a man meant driving a fast car and guzzling beer and bench pressing. <laughs> and so this guy is not a beer guzzler or a fast car driver. And then all of a sudden he has a lump in his breast. Okay. So I think both of us are like, we're having a hard time, like kind of getting to like the problem for us with this story, because I don't want to say anything negative about it. Okay. So wait, let's give a little backstory. Okay. This was submitted to us two years ago and we both like the story. Yeah. But you, I remember said, there's something missing here and I think he's gay and it's not mentioned in here. And I was like, well, whatever, you know, maybe he wasn't ready to say it. Maybe it's not true. And I said, we should air it and talk about that. And and you sent him an email and what happened? Well, two years ago, he said, I remember him saying, I think what he said was, well, I don't want to bring in the fact that I'm gay into this, into this essay. So he is gay. He's out but he didn't want to bring it into this essay. And at that point, two years ago, I was like, well, then this essay just like doesn't work at all. Not for me, because as a reader, as a listener, I hear something that's so clear. And it wasn't even like, wait, I think something's missing. No, I was like, something's missing. This guy is struggling with his his feelings of himself as a, as being a man. And he's also gay. And to me, that raises the stakes. That's how I heard it. That's how I felt about it. I wanted him to admit that he was gay so that he would raise the stakes. And then here's this gay guy who has a breast lump and might potentially have breast cancer. Like, oh my God, in Texas where he's trying to be masculine. How hard is that? So he said, no, he didn't want to bring in the the gay factor. We were like, all right, well, then we're not going to publish it. I don't know what happened. We're open to submissions and we were going down our submissions, like all the ones that we were doing, dividing them up, reading them, sharing them, you know, stuff like that. And his name popped up. But this story stayed with us. Right. Because it's so good. I said, what about that guy? What about that guy's story? I really liked it. And you said, I'm going to reach out to him again and see where he's at and what's up. And so you did. And he said, okay, yeah. I want to look at the email. I want to look at the email that he sent back. Oh, it was really good what he said, why he didn't want to share it. 
So let me go to that email. Okay, so I said to him again, we love your story. Oh, I said I made some edits. Please fill in the edits and that we're going to talk about in a second. And if you're open to letting us air it, we want it. We're still wondering if you're gay. You don't have to address it in the story, but we'll probably ask out loud on the episode. We'll probably talk about it in the context of, well, does that specific detail belong in the story? And here's what he wrote. I remember you asking about my sexuality. Yes, I am gay. I left it out intentionally for certain reasons. First, I was so far from acknowledging my sexuality at the time. Didn't come out till several years later. It was really unbending gender norms, not my sexuality that made the experience so profound and memorable. So he is trying to say in his piece that gender norms are so rigid and were so difficult for him at that time that that was the primary frustration and conflict in the story. No, but he also said something about he was afraid that that where he was submitting it to there would be less readers if he he didn't want it to be just another gay story. So it was twofold. He wanted the story to, to be about, specifically be about gender norms and not about sexuality. And I, I mean, I actually think that those two are so entwined, sexuality and gender norms, that it's, to me, it just seems impossible to separate them. Okay, but that was his primary goal. And then he also said, I certainly could have mentioned it incidentally, being gay, that is. And perhaps my decision not to is of more interest to you. Either way, this is it. For better or worse, stories that include queer content far too often get labeled as such, whether queerness is incidental or a primary part of the story. And in that way, it's also true, this can lead to stories being discounted solely for that purpose. Because I was pitching this to a publication with an overwhelmingly straight male readership, and I feel the issue of narrow masculinity confines is the crux of the piece and that all men really need to stop and think about this shit. I did not want it to be bypassed by some readers purely because it was perceived as a gay story, whether that's the focus or not. I respect that. I mean, I totally 100% get it. I don't know that I would have picked it up if I had thought that. That doesn't um, apply to me. So I get it. There's consequences to him not including it and some consequences to him including it. So if the title of the piece had been Gay Man's Brush with Breast Cancer. or well, gay- Why would he put gay in the title? Now that's just ridiculous. No, but wait. But if it had been in the story. But wait, he could have a gay boy's brush with breast cancer. To me, that's like, oh, God. To me, that raises the stakes. He could have done that. Would you have not read it had he done that? Would you be like, oh, gay boy, I'm not reading that? No, I probably would have read it. But if I was thumbing through a magazine, I may not have. Really? I don't know. I mean, maybe. Well, that's what he was worried about. And I have to say, to me, that feels homophobic. I don't like it. And also, I feel like it did a disservice to the story in two places. And I'll tell you where. Wait, what's homophobic? Me or him? His excluding. I mean, you, you're, you're homophobic. Yeah, we'll talk about that later. Okay, but um, <laughs> I feel like he was like sort of hiding and that that is homophobia. I do think it did a disservice to the story. I love this story, though. What I wanted was right here. Right in like the second paragraph, he said he finds a lump in his breast and he's like, I was already teetering dangerously close to the edge of not being a man at all. 
I don't know what that means to him. Does that mean that he wanted to transition? We have no idea. I feel like that's too laden. And I'll tell you that I feel like he had a great opportunity to give us a giant hint when he brought up the tattoo. Mm. And I said to him in our notes, what is the tattoo? Where is it on your body? And what does it say? Does it symbolize your feelings about masculinity? Is it a big pink triangle? What is the tattoo? So he had a great opportunity to tell us. It was a moment where he could have revealed his identity, his true identity. That would have been perfect. And I remember when I read it, at least, you know, recently, the second time I was like, what's with the tattoo? Why did he bring that up? It's not brought up again. It's sort of laid in there. There's no mention of the parents again. Like if it was one of my students, I would have had them, like you were saying, either you cut that out or you explain it has to mean something. You can't just drop it in there because I'm like, that's the first thing you think about. Like, well, what is it? So I was left and I don't like when people say something and then I can't see it. I feel like that's a secret and I don't want a secret. I'm reading this whole essay. I better get all the secrets. Totally. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us all the secrets. The nurse got to see the tattoo. No. And that's the thing. I mean, these essays are a moment for you to be more than just cocktail conversation. And I think he does such an amazing job of that. If we had to criticize, this would be the only thing. Like That's why we didn't accept this two years ago. Yet, it's such an important story that we wanted to bring it back and discuss it because we think it's a learning experience, whether or not the writer, the narrator decides to take our edits or wants to, I mean, meanwhile, he got this published and he's doing just fine without us. So we're not saying we're the best editors (laughs) in the world. We're just saying that when you, when you, when you make a submission to a publication, you have to give them what they're asking for. Otherwise they're going to reject it nine times out of 10. You have to read their guidelines and you have to listen to their podcast or read their publication because it gives you a more of an insight into exactly what they want. If you're trying to get published and you're trying to make money with writing, it's really important. Wait, I want to say this. I love that you just said that um, that he's doing just fine without us because he actually was a finalist. This story was also a finalist in the Sequestrum Literary Journal's Editor's Reprint Award. He was a finalist for an award for this. <laughs> this is a great story. And so if you don't give your editors what you what they want, like sometimes nine out of 10 times, they'll reject it. Or <laughs> the one time they'll print it anyway, like we did. Yeah. We'll publish it anyway, because it's so good. Well, that's the other thing. I mean, like we've, we work with a lot of writers. We're willing to do some of the work, but not all of the work. So a lot of times we just get these situations and I'm, I'm like, well, if you're not going to make meaning out of it, that's not my job. That's your job. So if it comes, we were talking about this in second draft today. If your story comes with this great ending and you've made meaning out of your story, I am happy to go back with you and tell you, well, mm, this didn't need to be in here, in my opinion. And this is what I wanted more of. So you can work with things. But to me, it shows that you did the work. You really asked yourself, what is the story about? You didn't just say, hey, this really shitty thing happened to me. Here it is. And to Kevin Wood's defense, Defense, right. To to Kevin Wood's defense, he wants the story to be about gender norms. And this line is everything. The lingering anxiety about not seeming like a man still blinds me to the fact this could have been cancer. So he wasn't even worried about the cancer. He was worried the whole time and is still worried about not seeming like a man. I have one question though about the very end. 
I thought it was interesting that he revealed this and I, and I appreciate it, but it kind of made me sad. I didn't tell my friend so that this was several years ago, but years after this experience happened. So several years later after he's, he's an adult now and he was in DC on the mall and at a breast cancer event. And he said, he wrote, I didn't tell my friend about the breast surgery or boob. He just still didn't say, but he still felt a shared bond. But why, why, why didn't he? Well, we do, we know how old he is now. Maybe it's, you know, he's not that far from it. I don't know. I mean, listen, we're in our fifties. So things that don't bother us that we're willing to share do bother other people that are younger. So, I mean, we don't know how old he is. We just know that this was several years ago and we know that this happened when he was 16. That's true. You're right. So yeah, when you, yeah. So when you're saying that when you're in your fifties, you know, and postmenopausal, your hormones have changed. We tell too much. Didn't we get that from the last episode? Yep. Kevin Wood is a freelance editor, writer, and writing coach based in Barcelona. He serves as a contributing editor for the Good Men Project, with a focus on social justice and queer issues. His writing has appeared in The Washington Post, Witness Magazine, Fast Company, Huffington Post, Litro Magazine, The Chicago Tribune, and Thought Catalog. Kevin lives in Spain. Yeah! He lives in Barcelona. I'm so jealous. Find him on the web at kevinewood.me. Links to his Twitter and Instagram will be in our show notes. Thank you, Kevin Wood, for sharing your story. This episode is produced by Matt Kundal and Evan Serminski from the Sound Off Media Company, Allison Langer, and me, Andrea Askowitz. Theme music by Justina Chandler. Additional music by Poddington Bear. There's more writing class at our website, writingclassradio.com, including video classes, story to study, and editing resources. You know, I'm starting to put up tips on Instagram and TikTok, writing tips. So look for me there. Nice. If you love the lessons you get on each episode, you can get them all in one place on our three-part video series for just 50 bucks. Click video classes on our website. If you want to be a part of the movement that helps people better understand each other through storytelling, and that's what we're doing, that's what we are, we're a movement to help people better understand each other, follow us on Patreon. For $10 a month, I will answer all your publishing questions. You can email me and we'll talk about where you should publish your story and I'll help you with your cover letter and um, give you some ideas on publications that are open. And for $25 a month, you can join Allison's first draft class. It meets every Tuesday from 12 to 1 Eastern. And I also want to say that we have a second draft class that I'm substituting in for. And it's going to be me every Thursday at noon Eastern for one hour. It's $100 on Patreon. And you get to bring in a full story like every other week. Find us on patreon.com slash writing class radio. A new episode will drop every other Wednesday. There's no better way to understand ourselves and each other than by writing and sharing our stories. Everyone has a story. What's yours? It's said that the more time you have to invest, the greater the return. Well, guess what? Kids have the most time if we learn to invest early. 
That's why I created the Cash Kid Podcast, where I teach kids and some adults financial skills they need to know on how to earn, save, and invest their money. Join me on this journey as we interview experts and explore topics that allow you to grow your money as kids. This podcast will help you become the money expert among your family and friends. Just remember, anyone can be a cash kid. You just have to learn how to become one. Get ready to grow your financial knowledge and your wallet with the Cash Kid Podcast.